This episode of Standard Orbit is brought to you by Audible.com, offering more than 180,000 titles for smartphone, tablet, and desktop. To get a free audiobook of your choice and help Trek FM at the same time, visit audibletrial.com slash trekfm. And also by Enterprise in Space, an international program for the nonprofit National Space Society. Find out how you can help science and education and become a virtual crew member aboard the NSS Enterprise Orbiter by visiting enterpriseinspace.org. Want to join the conversation and share your thoughts on this episode? Join the Babel Conference, our listeners group on Facebook. Just type B-A-B-E-L into the Facebook search field. We look forward to seeing you there. This is Walter Koenig, Chekhov from Star Trek, and you're listening to Trek FM. Risk is our business. It's like nothing we've dealt with before. By golly, Jim, I'm beginning to think I can cure a rainy day. I can't change the laws of physics. Now in standard orbit, sir. Welcome, everyone, to Standard Orbit, Trek FM's dedicated podcast that covers the original and new cast of Captain Kirk and the Enterprise. I am Ken Tripp. I'm Haley Stoddart. And I am Zach Moore, and we're back with Mr. Lee Sargent. We had such a great time talking to him last week about all the Star Trek artwork. We're going to talk a little more about that this week, a little some crossover artwork he did, my favorite series of his that he's done so far. Uh, And also, we're going to talk about some of his Star Trek opinions. So that's a lot of fun, so let's get into it. Lee, thanks for coming back again for another week. Let's get back into the conversation Thank you for having me on. I really do enjoy your alt Trek uh, drawings, you know, with like you know, Picard fighting the Gorn, but it's Darmok. Uh, yeah. And, uh, you know, Janeway asking what God needs with the starship. You know, I, I love those. And I was curious, like, how do you decide what character? Because this is for listeners who haven't seen these. This is like yeah. you take characters and you put them in the plot of a different series or movie. So I was curious yeah. how you kind of decided which ones to mix and match in that way. Well, it, it started off because I was thinking about the Borg. And I was thinking about uh, the exercise of what would a Borg look like if it was designed by original Star Trek. So I don't think this was born out of um, conversations about Discovery's kind of look and feel and how they retconned a lot of the look and feel of original Star Trek uh, or the cage. And I kind of got really interested in thinking, well, okay, if, if a Borg was designed by the people who designed original star trek what would it look like and then once i had that in my head i was like okay what would spock say when he scans a borg or what would mccoy say and it's like so my god man this is a he's a mechanism um you know stuff like (laughs) that is a mechanism yeah my god jim he's a mechanism um you know that type of thing so i was like oh okay suddenly and you know and i i needed that i needed to see that and fortunately, I have access to pens and paper, so I could I could make that happen. Uh, and so, yeah, it, it really started from this idea of I want to see what it would be like if Kirk and Spock and McCoy of, of original Star Trek encountered the Borg and what they would kind of be like. And I, I wrote out in my head. Well, no, actually, I actually wrote some of the dialogue out and stuff like that. And I had this ma- vision of, you know, them on one of those great paper mache planets with a red sky and and, you know, these three guys with almost you know velour black 
kind of prosthetics and stuff like that like the guy from um conscious of the king where he's got like the the oh, big yeah. giant <laughs> chunky thing on the side of his head that's what the board would look like to them so i you know and i did that and they would have clockwork stuff and blah 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 so i did that and then i was like okay well that can't be on its own so we're going to need to do something else you need to justify thought, it by making some more yeah 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 i don't want people to think i'm just randomly doing this so then i was thinking you know again it's like okay well picard everyone talks about the difference between kirk and picard and how they deal with situations and stuff how would picard have dealt with the gorn and so and of course there's the episode um Darmok, which is you know kind of picard's um gorn episode it's kind of his um his his um that episode so i, I you know that was easy that was easy just to transplant that you make sure you've got the same so it's and actually the the image itself is a juxtapose of of Darmok, so and of um of that episode that I've forgotten the name, <laughs> the Gorn no, episode. Oh uh, no, I'm sorry. no, uh, no, the Arena. Gorn episode. Yeah, Arena. Thank you. Arena. Yeah, it's yeah. a simple episode name. See, this is the thing. Um, so yeah, it's actually if you look at it, so there's the um the Vasquez rocks in the background, but it's also there's the tree from and the tree, but there's also a couple of other elements from the Darmok episode to try and meld them together properly. And so, of course, so then that had been done. And so then I needed to go to D Space Nine and, and the K7. I've always loved the K7 um, space station design. So this idea of, of D Space Nine not being a Cardassian ship, Cardassian uh, station, but being the K7 station and drawing that plus a runabout and the wormhole in the background was like it was easy. And it was there was no thinking involved there at all. Um, and then, of course, we get to Voyager and Janeway to me is the she's the the natural progression from kirk um there was an episode i think it was called um the shoot or something like that where tom paris and um and um Ensign Harry Kim, Kim. yeah thank you <laughs> uh they were caught in uh, they were stuck in some prison planet or something well at one stage janeway goes in to rescue them in a very, in my opinion, very Kirk-like fashion, she's she's riding down this chute with a with a phaser rifle and all that type <laughs> of stuff, and it was very to me. It was like, oh wow, she is the she's the lineage of of the Kirk character. Yeah, I can see um, that. Yeah, I can see that. And so then the that idea takes a hold of if another captain was going to question God, which is and we talk about this, you know, which scenes your fa- the God scene in Star Trek Five is possibly my favorite scene of all see i love this guy i love this guy um (laughs) captain kirk i I could be saying all the things you're saying ladies (laughs) odd number trick yeah that's it odd number hey i like five five's not a great film it's a great film it's a it's a bad film with some great scenes in it um that's how i kind of it's 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 a really it's as a film as a whole i mean it's it it looks amazing in the cinematography, but the special effects are terrible. Um, there are clunky bits that you have to ignore, but then there are amazing scenes. And one of the amazing scenes is, of course, when confronted with the Almighty, Captain Kirk is not going to give up the Enterprise just because God asked for it. And who's another person who would not do that? And that's Janeway, easy. Um, and then, I, so I'm then trying to work out, okay, well, how do I, how do I make this? Because it's one of my favorite scenes even to draw. And so I've got Janeway there kind of putting her finger up and saying, hang on a second. And how did she get there? And to me, Kess was such an underused character that the idea of her taking on the cyborg role of this kind of spiritual 
person who's been touched by the god of the Ocumpans coming to Voyager and saying, "You need to come," you know, "you you need to come to the the center of the Delta Quadrant, um, through the Great <laughs> Barrier, of the Delta Quadrant," <laughs> you know, and, and face off this this god because he's uh, he's sent me a vision. Uh, I love that idea. I think that's that's definitely the film. Yeah, I watched that today. I watched um, that. So you know, so that was naturally that, and then of it's course better, better than Fury, right, guys? Yeah. Well, this anyway. is it. Yeah, yeah. I think I got excited about Fury just because she was back, but then and then everyone was like, "No, that's a terrible episode," and I'm like, "Oh yeah, it is a terrible episode." <laughs> <laughs> but Kess is in it, and I like Kess. And then of course we got Enterprise. You know, um, if Jonathan Archer and and that had to face Vija, Trip Tucker, of course, would be. Of course, he'd be the one who who, who merges with Ilea and stuff. Um, it's there's euphemism there for you um <laughs> and, and, you know and so all those kind of all those different different things have stories that i've kind of told myself these fan fiction stories that i've told myself and they're just the natural extension of those uh so yeah no, no that's awesome that you kind of have a whole kind of story around it you're not just randomly plugging in different characters and like thinking out oh well this character would be that, et cetera. Yeah. Yeah. Whenever I do an original, like I've done a couple of kind of things where I've gone, oh, okay, cool. Let's, because I, I love the idea of the animated series because it was able to take Star Trek to places it couldn't go um, through conventional special effects and stuff like that. So, you know, we suddenly have a three legged, three armed helmsman and, mm-hmm. and, and, you know, and a cat, the Cassian, or, you know. Um, <laughs> so these are kind yes. of cool things that you can't do. Yeah. Um, yeah, you, you, know, you couldn't do, and even Next Generation wouldn't have been really able to do them too well. So the animated series got to do that. So whenever you do an original piece, it's like, oh, okay, cool. They're going to be there's going to be an alien there, who's seven foot tall, and he does this, and he had looks like Blob and <laughs> stuff like that. So I like to try and have a story behind them when I'm doing them. Um, and then of course we get to, uh, and I didn't mention it, but there's the the because I know that this is going to be a topic that we're going to go into. But there was the discovery piece that I did. Uh, which was literally the scene from the cage when they beam down to um, to the planet, and and in the original Spock plays with the plant thingy that makes noises, which is my favourite plant to draw. I might add, it's in every any time I have to draw an alien planet. There's a there's and one there's of those a, plants. Singing, the, singing plant is there. I'll keep it. Yeah, up. yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> the, you know. Yeah. And having Tilly being the one who would hold that plant and smile broadly and stuff. Yeah, like no, that. spot on. And, she and would totally be the one to, to grab the plant. Right? Oh yeah, yeah she, she would. She would. I totally yeah. agree. <laughs> And then, of course, the the thing which probably got... Because that one was actually the one which got the most attention because I drew the three of them, so Saru, uh, Michael Burnham, and, and Tilly, in the cage uniforms. And everyone got a little bit excited by that. And I personally, I'm a massive fan of the cage uniforms. So to do that was a natural thing. And it was, um, yeah, it was an interesting... That was an interesting experience because of the the overwhelming support for that which i was thought was interesting considering the uh, division i've seen discovery coursing <laughs> through you know just uh, there's this these kind of two circles of people who who really really love it and, or, and there's people who seem to really really hate it but it, and it's a weird kind of i'm somewhere in the middle uh, i'm 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 I, I recognize there's flaws, a lot of flaws in it, but I also it's Star Trek and these characters are really fun characters that I want to see more of. Um, but doing that was, um, so that was a lot of fun. But yes, I, I, I think they should be wearing cage style uniforms and I disagree that they couldn't be updated to look um, current. I, I, one of the producers or writers or someone on Twitter once had a go at someone saying, why don't they look 
why aren't they dressed like that? And they said, oh, you want it to look like a cheap 60s show, do you? And I'm like, whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> cheap 60s They're fighting shows, words. Son. Here we go. Yeah, I'm not, you've suddenly got me completely offside because that cheap looking 60s show is everything. Um, and it wasn't cheap looking for the time. And those design principles behind a lot of the stuff is sound stuff um and one of my major complaints about discovery is simply that it's over designed that there are starfleet symbols on everything and there's you know there's not just they're not just boots they're boots that have starfleet symbols embedded into them and blah 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 and i'm just like i just don't i don't see that like i don't see that from uh, from an organization like that like the, the even the u.s the u.s military don't have you know um marine symbols embedded in the in the boots and stuff like that they don't they don't brand like that that's a branding thing and and they just wouldn't brand like that so i kind of that's my main complaint and the klingons i'm you know i don't hate well i don't i don't dislike no okay these are all <laughs> i'm backing myself into a corner because i kind of do dislike <laughs> them um but i really don't like the the design that they went for with the klingons simply in the fact that they overdid it they they have these klingons wearing outfits that they wouldn't be able to get into themselves and you've got to whenever you're designing something and this is why i love the original star trek because it's simplicity the beauty of the simplicity of it is you've got to think about the person getting up in the morning and getting dressed now if you're a klingon warrior on the sarcophagus ship getting up in the morning and getting dressed is a three-hour ordeal of getting into that elaborate armor and walking around and sitting at a desk typing out a report in this in my in head this they armor. sleep in it they yeah, well, they got to take it off. They, they just couldn't, because and, and I worry about it too, because like they just because you could be imagine this poor Klingon sitting there with these kind of jewels and everything on top of their spiky bits, and then they look over to their shoulder, and one of their jewels has fallen off, and they're like, "Oh, for God's, oh, I've got it!" Ah, oh. and, and, and so there's got to be a Klingon on board who specialises in in spot welding jewels back onto to armor and stuff like that and they just wouldn't not that people that those people wouldn't do that and if you if you go back to looking at even the past you know kings would wear amazing elaborate armor uh, and their knights would wear various degrees of as elaborate armor but only in special situations like because it would take forever to get into that armor but your, your normal kind of knight who didn't really have a huge amount of money was wearing you know this beat up kind of very practical wear not elaborate like um like someone who had a lot more time so that's that's my main complaint from the look and feel of 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 discovery simply that they've overworked what were really really good designs and then of course the original enterprise shows up and people um again very very angry both sides <laughs> for some reason everyone's very angry um and i'm like well i don't feel the need to update it i just feel the need that you need to use current special effects to produce what was already designed by matt jeffries it's a beautiful design it's it's timeless i don't feel the need to add stuff to it or to take stuff because i find that somewhat um and this is probably a strong term but i find it disrespectful simply in the fact that uh, I think the designers of those original costumes and the designers of the original stuff worked with definitely with what they had, but these are good designs. And to say that you kind of know better because we've got current technology, it's just, I, I just struggle with that a lot. And that's just me. And I don't kind of, I don't argue. I don't, I, I'm not arguing with anyone who loves the new look. I just don't. And that's cool. 
Uh, <laughs> I'll tell you, man, I, I 100% agree with everything you've said. You, you are me, except you are Australian and you can draw. Other than that, we are exactly the same person. I, you know, I, was, I was literally <laughs> thinking that a while ago, especially as this discussion started to unfold. I was like, wow, okay. This is several episodes that – did you just listen to Zach and just wrote this stuff down or what? I thought that I didn't, it was pretty I impressive. I did not know any of this about Lee before this conversation. It, it, is, it is funny. <laughs> it, it, you know, it's one of the things – I haven't heard it mentioned before, but it's something – when I first saw the Discovery uniforms, the Starfleet uniforms, I grew up uh, well, a lot of my time in the 70s, and um, – they they just look like the Adidas sweatsuits that everybody was wearing back in the seventies. It really is a very similar design to that, I you have, know, because people wore who, those one piece suits all the time. Yeah, I have a friend who pointed out one day, and now I can't unsee it. Is um, I don't know if you if like you guys have. I don't know what Target is over there. It's in the Target. US. Um, well, we have Target too, and I'm not sure if they're at the same level of quality. Um, <laughs> Target is, is you know, it's affordable clothing. There you go. Just Let's yeah, just say same. that. It's the same. Um, so Target um, activewear mm-hmm. has things printed on it to make it look more um, swishy. You know, it's, you know, where Nike might bring out a shirt and it's got... Special fabric on the sides that that you know cools your inner, your 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 organs and 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 picks up Wi-Fi or something. <laughs> um, whereas Target kind of just has a, you know a print on the side that makes it look a little bit more swishy. And it always felt and and that's what they said. They said that's kind of what their uniforms look like. That they they were designed by Target to kind of look fancier than they actually are. And it's like, oh, yeah, okay, I see that now. Actually, but, you know, with the the stuff on the sides and the and there has to be a line through the symbol for some reason. It's like we're just going to try and make it look a little bit more flashier than it is. And my understanding is that there, I think there were some legal requirements um, that they've struggled with. Um, and if that's the case, then you know, look, it is what it is, and just wear it. But I just, yeah, I. I yeah, I, I agree. Yeah, they do have a very. I had someone kind of. I had a conversation going on at one stage when they first showed them, saying, "Oh, finally a Star Trek uniform that that looks functional, and has pockets and looks good." And I'm like, "What? Like straight off? What?" Um, the design for because I remember um, one of the conversations that Gene Roddenberry had was that there are no pockets in the future because it was something to do with the. There was something to do with the design of the costumes. It was designed; they weren't supposed to be. Um, they were supposed to be these form-fitting kind of spacesuit type of things, simply because that was the future of you know we didn't put pens in front pockets or anything like that. And of course, they go and break that as much as quickly as they can um, with Doctor <laughs> okay. Crush's um, jacket and stuff like that. Sure, but and I and I'm not quite there either. I'm not like I yeah sure I acknowledge that, but I also think yeah pockets are nice. Um, but the, you know the Enterprise costumes were extremely functional um you know these are essentially flight suits really so to have those kind of comments i always kind of struggle with those kind of comments where it's like well hang on no you got to take a bigger picture of this whole legacy um and that's the only and that's the things that i kind of you know that's just and i and i worry about stepping too far into the gatekeeper role um because i'm conscious of that too like if discovery is your star trek then that's awesome I really don't like the people who actively bash the other Star Trek shows in favor of Discovery. I don't think that's cool. But equally, I hate the people who are bashing Discovery without any 
sense of without any kind of finding anything of value in the show and there is a lot in the show which is is fun and like tilly is just everything um i watch a whole series just with tilly as the lead uh, and i'd be perfectly happy and and saru's grown on me um i did not like him at the start but he's grown on me and that's great i think if you can't find anything of value in the show then you're really uh i i, I just feel bad for you really <laughs> You know what uh, I say? What, I, what I've said, Lee, is, is if Cybok shows up, then all my nitpicks will be forgiven if Cybok oh, shows up on this. You know what, account. dude? Yeah, okay. Yeah, we're totally on the same wavelength. Because, yeah, if Cybok gets mentioned, I'm like, done. Yeah, score. You guys, yeah, win. I mean, I don't, I don't, I'm not a massive fan of the new uniforms that they've shown either. I don't, I, I yeah, again, it's like, I, I it's like this weird the, updating of the old, but not. I, I don't know. I don't, again, like I think it it's either. a, I, I think it's possibly a legal issue about oh. replicating. Uh, who has the rights to what um uh, that's what i think that's possibly is and that's fine but i love the casting of um i didn't enjoy i don't not a big fan of sarek um but i really love because i'm i'm mark leonard sarek that's just going to be my sarek forever i don't you know you have your bond you have you know your version of james bond so my version of sarek will always be mark leonard and i like that version and i'm not a big fan of of what they've kind of how they've shoehorned this storyline in because it's just it does feel like it's replicating stuff but i really love the guy they got to play pike i think they've oh nailed gosh. that uh, what's her name um rebecca um romaine I, romaine yeah romaine yeah. thank you um i was just trying to remember how to pronounce her name um as number, number one. one. Oh wow like that's inspired casting i'm completely down with that and the guy playing spock which i was not looking forward to at all at all and i never even heard of this guy and they said you know this he's going to be playing spock and i'm like well first off good luck to him um because that's that's got to be the hardest gig on the planet um at least zachary quinto had leonard nimoy standing by his side saying yeah no i endorse this it's it's fine everyone everyone calm down you know and and having and at least he looked a lot like leonard nimoy or spock um this guy, you know, I never heard of him. So I looked him up on YouTube to try and get some dialogue, you know, just to hear his voice because I think the voice was going to be very important. And he's got this amazing deep voice that I was just, okay, fine. Let's please don't be grinning and grabbing plant- plants, but, you know, <laughs> and shouting. Um, I feel although, he, although he technically should be if we're going to keep continuity. Oh, dear. <laughs> I'm just going to say that as an anomaly. See, see, I have a theory on Shout canon. Shouty Spock. I can't. I don't know if I'm. I'm down with Shouty Spock. Um, <laughs> I, I feel. See, this is the thing for me for canon. This is the. Uh, and people have misinterpreted my take on canon. Is I announced one day on Twitter that uh, canon is a completely artificial construct that it cannot be enforced by anyone, and it doesn't matter because if I believe that um, the events of Star Trek VI, the novel, are canon. There's nothing anyone can do to stop me from from having that belief. No one can step in my mind and say, no, Carol Marcus's story in, in Star Trek VI did not happen because it's not on screen. Because there's, there's absolutely nothing you can do to stop me from, from going, yes, it did. It all happened, and you know, and I'm pl- completely down with it. And people kind of said, oh, well, you, that means you, you don't believe canon's important. It's like, no, no, hang on a second. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is you can, you can give yourself an ulcer worrying about all these different kind of things of canon, you know, what's canon and what's not canon. Canon's a fluid thing that you just have to go with. I think that you should try and capture the spirit of everything that's come before 
as best you can. And I think that's why I got really quite uppity about, do you want this to look like a cheap 60s show? And it's like, no, no, it's not a cheap 60s show. And, and yes, I do want you to try and at least make it look similar, um, which is what I've liked about the Kelvin Universe stuff. I'm not sure how you guys feel about the Kelvin Universe because that's another very devi- divisive thing. Um, but, and, I, and the Enterprise, and I will admit that I kind of, I'm not the greatest fan of the design that they did for the Enterprise, but I know why they had to do it because of legal reasons. But, you know, Star Trek Beyond, like the uniforms are amazing. Like I think those uniforms are Perfect. so beautiful. Well, to, to, your point about, to your point about over-designing, like the yeah. first two films, over-designed. And then you took a step yeah. back and I'm like, yes, this is more like the original series just with a bigger budget. Yeah, hundred percent, and that's and that's when I kind of if you say we can't, you know, it's a different time, so we can't reflect that. It's like, well, actually, they did. They did it really well. They did last year. That's right. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yep. Um, and I'm not a massive fan of change for the cha- for change sake. Um, like I don't feel that Dorian's need um, head ridge things because they've got antennas already, so I know they're an alien. Um, so making them more alien doesn't necessarily it, you don't have to do that to me you don't have to beat me over the head with that i know they're an alien they don't need head ridges um and weird voices we've already established that they're aliens because they're blue <laughs> yeah i mean Inter- enterprise did the andorians per- amazing they're perfect oh, yeah. on enterprise just, let, and, just and again, do that pull that stuff out of storage and use that you know and that's and that's where i guess my issue would be with the changes of the look and feel i i don't really have a problem with the hologram stuff um some people really, really have a problem with it. It doesn't overly worry me. Um, I just wish that it made internal logical sense. Um, and, you know, little things like that. Uh, just because, like, you know, sitting on a table when you're not actually in the room, it's a nitpick. It really is, but it is distracting. And But it's not the hill I'm going to die on either. Right. Um, I'm never I'm never going to watch Star Trek Discovery again because, Sarek sat, because holographic Sarek sat on a table. Um, I'm okay. I can... Uh, you know, I watch Star Trek Five and enjoy it, so you know I can you I go. can brush over bits. I, so. I, I didn't expect our conversation to go into you know the, the canon and whatnot. We because we we've been talking about this kind of stuff a lot recently on uh, very on recently, the podcast, yeah. really. So it's great, great yeah. to get your perspective on it. What's what's your take on on canon? Do you guys do you feel canon's been you know violated, or do you are you ap- ha- okay with what's happening, or? As far as discovery goes, it's it's one of those things. I think you, you hit it on the head. I've never been, you know. I, I always make the argument, especially since the uh, the movies came out, the the more recent ones, the Kelvin timelines. You know, I, I'm not a big fan of alternate timelines and time travel. Yet Star Trek does it very well. So I, you just kind of flow with it. I I kind of sit back a lot of times when I see a lot of heated arguments and. Just kind of well, do my Spock eyebrow raise and go. Really, this is this is what. <laughs> if if this is what's really bothering you, you 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 must not have any other problems in the world. I I can't take that very seriously sometimes. Uh, there yeah. are there are other times for whatever reason. Then it does hit me. Like if they if it's like a blatant, um, you know. Oh come on, you guys know you should have caught that. You know you know when the show just doesn't make sense yeah. and goes off on its own. I I I don't like lazy writing. But at the yeah. same time, I'm, I'm, you know, I, I don't get particularly all wound up over those types of things. Uh, I like what you said about the novel of Star Trek VI and so forth. You're right. There's a lot of things, you know, I, just because one time uh, when Star Trek The Motion Picture came out, I had these blueprints of the Enterprise and the new ship. Mm. Beautiful, very well done blueprints. 
and I know for a fact it said when it was doing like all the weapons that it had a cloaking device and it was part of the the ship. So I said, okay, that must be part of quote unquote canon in my mind, right? And then of hmm. course it's never gotten anywhere. I mean, it's not. I, I, I'm sure Gene Roddenberry, who was all over every aspect of Star Trek the motion picture, when he said it had this, it should have had it. <laughs> but silly well, things like that sometimes have fun it. with it, you know. Well, there's an original episode where they actually get the the cloaking device. Right. Yeah. That so, that was and, that was my. Scotty's, can, can I talk about this before? My explanation was, well, they just they just didn't take it out. They just left it in there <laughs> for the ten years. They designed right. around it. They just, yeah. Yeah. All <laughs> the refit was, was built around this cloaking. Yeah. Device. It was almost it's a totally big... new enterprise, except for the cloaking device. I get it. <laughs> Because <laughs> we don't know how it works, and we know if we if we uninstall it now, we're, no, we're never going to get it connected again. Yeah, Fair boy, that, that would have that would have been beautiful in that sexy new engine room, that original cloaking yeah, device sitting it. there, <laughs> a big big sphere on a, on a stick, yeah. nomad and a sargon That's on right. a stick. How good would that be if it was in the background and they just thought, like you know you had like one of the one of the engineers in the background <laughs> trip over it or something? Oh, I, just, I, yeah. there's your drawing idea, Lee. There it is. Yeah, I know. It's <laughs> Sargon has shown up in at least I think I did the Starfleet Academy series that were a lot of fun because I put all those references in there yeah. and Sargon was actually in the AI department I think he was in one of them Sargon's there somewhere anyway or, or the, the the sphere of Sargon is there somewhere um, so yeah which was cool um, Haley, what about you what about your kind of take on canon stuff I you know I'm not I'm not a big person on this whole canon i think a lot of it is that people have their head cannons mm. which we all do and i think people are confusing head cannon and and interjecting their head cannon into canon yeah. and that's what's causing a lot of the problems and people are like no this this is this, this, this and it's like okay but is that your your head cannon or is that canon and i think like you said if we stick to the spirit of mm. what was originally set out with this amazing show that we've had so many iterations and movies and it's been running for, you know, 50 some odd years. If we just stick to that spirit of it and we can take that wherever we want to go as long as, you know, it's hard when we keep getting these pre-TOS series, oh, yeah, you know. Yeah. And yeah. that's, I think, where the problem lies is people are like, oh, well, it has to line up with events that happen in TOS. And and then I'm going to interject my headcanon into it as well. And I just, I like Ken said, if it's something that is blatant in the face of something that happened already and it's like you're just going to throw that out with the bathwater, mm. then yeah. But the rest of it, I'm like, I don't care. You know yeah. what? It's it's Trek. I'm going to watch it. If I love it, I love it. If I don't, I don't. If someone else loves something that I don't love, that's totally fine. I love stuff that other people don't love. Like, I'm a big... I like Lazarus. I like Lazarus. He's a hero, yeah. I think. No, I... And, <laughs> yeah. and, you know, okay. I will I'm, argue I'm, I'm that point. Now. I have <laughs> argued that point. I'm <laughs> hanging up right now. <laughs> Lee draws a line at the alternative factor. Uh, yeah, yeah. yeah, the alternative factor. <laughs> there, there are certain lines, yeah. There's very few people that you know, what cross of, that. What of Lazarus, but, Lee? Where's our I Lazarus mean, artwork, right? <laughs> I know. I've got, I, I have plans because I, I actually have the schematics of the ship, so I want to draw that one day. Um, 
Yeah, look, I, I found myself getting into arguments and then realizing I don't want to be in an argument right. about stuff, yeah. which is the hardest thing. Cause I, and I actually had someone, because um, I was complaining about the Klingons. And when I complain about the Klingons, I'm complaining about their look, uh, like what I was exactly saying before about, like I like the, the Klingons next generation further on. I actually like original Star Trek Klingons as well because um, I felt that there was a natural progression, like the sash um was carried through to the next generation and stuff like that i like all that type of stuff and i like enterprises you know their explanation of why the ridges disappeared um i that's fine you know i I thought that was that was quite clever it doesn't worry me because you know they're not real um why not real people huh yeah i know (laughs) and then i had someone arguing with me about the the, oh what would you prefer these uh these blackface um klingons like in the 60s it's like whoa 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 where i what no 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 this oh wow and i actually i actually had to i had a chat to an aboriginal friend i have and i said to him look um because australia has this terrible history of blackface in our entertainment industry um and black uh, i assume you guys are aware of the term when a a white uh, actor dresses up as a black character and puts I don't know, boot polish on or something like that. Amos and Andy was big in the States in the 30s. Right. That's same thing, yeah. We've had variety shows that often would do it and stuff like that. And I think, and we had, and what was interesting was about, uh, I guess, five years or so ago, we had a a long-running variety show here in Australia, which was, you know, it's basically, uh, you would have people on, they do skits and stuff like that. And they they did a, one, someone did, um, yeah, it, it was like the, black and white minstrels type of thing with some sort of humorous take on that. And they got them back to do it in this show five years ago and the whole world's moved on and gone, that's not appropriate anymore. But then when this person was saying that the original Klingons were in the same vein, it's like, I'm like, whoa, that's... So you're you're attacking... That, that doesn't make any sense. They're aliens first off. And, you know, there's been a lot of white actors who have portrayed Klingons throughout the years. And and there's been, of course, a lot of African-Americans who just have, you know, they sound correct to kind of like Worf's voice is perfect for a Klingon. And a lot of African-American actors just have these kind of great voices that just scream these wonderful, powerful characters. Um, but that doesn't necessarily make the, I I've felt, that the term was used incorrectly simply in that I think that there's a premeditated aspect to that of kind of being racist or being discarding race. And I don't think original Star Trek was doing that in any way, shape or form. And I was getting into this argument about it and it's like, well, hang on a second, this doesn't make any sense because I don't care at the end of the day. Like if you think that, whatever. Um, and if you think that Discovery is the only show has the right to be called Star Trek. Well, then sure, it doesn't worry me, I guess, because it's I don't have to believe that as well. Um, and it's and I, as I say, I fall on both sides of the fence. Like it's it's really bizarre because I can't stand people who savage Discovery con- without remorse, and I don't. I and the people who think Discovery is the only Star Trek and all Star Trek before it was either racist, sexist, or, or crap. I just, that's not that's not true either. And, and it happens for all the shows. Like there's D-Space Nine fans who think that D-Space Nine is the only Star Trek. And it's like, well, no, it's part of Star Trek. I love all of it. So it's it's hard. 
Um, uh, and I absolutely. Just think, I think I think whenever you have to tear something else down to build your own thing up, I mean that's that's mm-hmm. a flawed argument to begin with. I think that ultimately that's what that's what we're talking about here. Yeah, and that's just the thing. It's it's hard to kind of come because like I I worry that then it gets caught up in other stuff. So people kind of say, oh, I don't like Discovery. Oh, does, is that because you hate women? And it's like. <laughs> oh, what? No. Yeah. No. <laughs> um, you know, I don't like dis- I didn't like the first season of Discovery because I think that they had a lot of problems behind the scenes from a writing point of view, and I don't think the seasons I don't think the season itself was a cohesive. Like if you watch Westworld or um I think Westworld's probably a good example. Westworld is an extraordinarily nuanced show that is getting to somewhere. And it knows where it wants to go and it it reveals what it reveals and blah, blah, blah. Whereas Star Trek Discovery just felt like there was a lot of people pulling in different directions. And we got to a certain point where it just went, okay, everything's solved by a bomb under the planet. And it's like, well, uh, what? Hang on a second. <laughs> this should be a lot more nuanced and this should be, you know, this should be clever. And, and all of their reveals felt like they were just, um, it felt like they were in the ad for it. It's like, oh, and next week on Star Trek Discovery, we reveal the Klingon. And it's yeah. like, whoa. <laughs> you know. Um, it just that's just how it felt. And I I think that's nothing to do with the actors. It's nothing to do like Doug Jones does an amazing job. And he always does an amazing job. And I'm not a massive fan of Michael Burnham, but that's not because of the actress. I just don't like the character. Yeah, and as I say, I I will scream Tilly's praises to the hills. I think she's amazing. I'd love to follow her. But I felt the storylines let it down. And the only time that it didn't let it massively down was um, the bottle episodes where I Harry Mudd. And even that was, people were like having problems with that, going, Stella looks too young or she looks too old or she looks, and it's like, oh, come on, guys. Nitpicking. You know what it is. The nitpicking, like the just the tiny, tiniest little nitpicking. And it just, and dying on the hill for that, though. That's the yeah. thing. It's like saying, yeah, oh, Stella did not look the exact age that she should have been. I can't watch this. Sh-. And it's like, what? It's Calm a- down. <laughs> yeah. If we're going to talk about dying on the hill, I do have to ask you. Uh, <laughs> Please. Because this has been a thing as we've talked about the Discovery uniforms. Uh, th- does it bother you they have the red uniform on the Enterprise in season two when they should have the tan uniforms because of the, the pilot uh, shows? Yeah, look, um, yeah, okay, that's, yeah, 100%. It, it, doesn't, it <laughs> yes. doesn't keep me up at night. No, well, yeah, the answer is yes, uh, but it doesn't keep me up at night. Um, oh, it keeps me up at night. No, it does not keep me, <laughs> not keeps me up at night. Uh, look, you know, it doesn't keep me up either, because, again, this is the beautiful thing about the headcanon, which, I, uh, I, again, I kind of, I think headcanon is your most important canon, but you can't impose that canon on anyone, um, as Haley was saying. Um, but your your head cannon is the most important cannon. You can't force it on anyone because you and they can't force their head cannon on you. That's the beauty of this thing. We can all just sit there and be happy. Uh, one of the fun things about Star Trek is Chekhov was not on board the Enterprise during Space Seed. Yet Khan Noonien Singh, in possibly what people consider to be the best Star Trek movie, recognizes him and says, "I never forget a face." And Chekhov's easy line there, well, I never met you, son, so, you know. But the fun thing to do is, okay, Chekhov wasn't on the bridge yet. He was a technician. He was a ensign on board who had just literally met Khan because he had just boarded the Enterprise and was reporting to the um, sick bay for his physical. And Khan never forgets a face. Khan went through the... Through the, the um, went through the entire crew manifest and and you know, 
recognized every single crew member because he's a super genius and Chekhov just wasn't on the bridge at that stage so we hadn't met Chekhov yet because he never says in the first episode Chekhov shows up hey welcome aboard there's you know he may have been serving anywhere he could have been serving downstairs with Kevin Riley and eating cube food and <laughs> we just hadn't seen him yet um, cube food's my favorite thing so you know the fun element to that is instead of just going oh well this is bunk this is rubbish how does it work? Okay, what is the what's the solution to this to make it fit canon? This, this is what the internet was invented canon. for, these kinds of conversations. Like trying to make yeah. message boards and conversations, trying to make this stuff work is absolute. And when people can just have good-natured conversation about it, it's fun. And I just yeah, wish people you, would just accept that, like, hey, let's just talk about it and have different points of view, and it's okay. You yeah, know? that's the thing. When the conversation doesn't start because you refuse to engage any further, because you, your, your one answer is, well, that's... Um, that, he, Chekhov wasn't on board the Enterprise at that stage, so I can no longer entertain this film at all because it's rubbish. It's like, no, no, what? You just missed out on one of the most amazing death scenes in the in all of Star Trek or all the all of movie history simply because you couldn't get past the scene that Chekhov showed up and is recognised by Khan because it doesn't fit, you know, canon. I think that's 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 the extreme element of it. No, I mean, no one believes that. I don't think um, everyone accepts Wrath of Khan. Well, yeah, these 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 kinds of conversations, like, oh, is Trillian a Q? I mean, I mean, they've written books about that, and people have fun conversation. I mean, that, that's what this stuff yeah. is for. Like, I've read so many Star Trek novels or comic books that all contradict oh. each other. I mean, but my, it's just it's another adventure. One, yeah, my number one headcanon is that Vo- uh, Vija was Borg. Uh, Shatner said it in his book. Or right. Shatner's writers said it in Shatner's book. <laughs> Judith and um, Garfield Reeves Stevens said yes. it in Shatner's book. <laughs> yes. Um, you know, I. Come on, Bill nothing... wrote his name. Yeah, he did. Yeah, <laughs> and he posed for the photo on the front. There he or, did. Or they may have used the stock photo. Um, but yeah, look to me, no one can convince can convince me that the planet that Voyager Six encountered wasn't the Borg homeworld, and that it's set everything in motion see yeah, so so that's how so so I, i've heard and we can delve in this for, uh, for a couple minutes because i found this interesting so this is something like gene roddenberry says is a joke like in the 80s at some point uh mm. and then it kind of spun out from there so like when i was younger i was like when i watched motion pictures like oh i get it because human decker and machine ilea like merged together that made the board right cybernetic organisms right okay, but then yeah. i'm like but then as i like got more into fandom i'm like oh no that's not what people think they think <laughs> voyager fell into this black hole and encountered the borg now if, and then I'm like, well, the timing doesn't really work out. But if you can, if you think about a black hole, like it could have gone back in time. Yeah. You know, yeah, like 100%. hundreds of years into the Delta Quadrant. Like it's really, really proto-Borg, you know, where there's just yeah. machines and stuff. There's so many well, cool ways you can spin that. But I well, love connecting those dots solely. Well, think of, think about it this. What was Vija's core programming? Learn all, learn all that learning. is learnable. Oh. Or assimilate Information, everything. Which becomes actual And things. they took it literally. The Borg... Mm-hmm. Vija was still assimilating because it was Vija was assimilating things um, physically, and the Borg, they were they were assimilating things. They're adding to their biological distinctiveness. It's the same type of thing. They're just doing it physically. They're just it's sledgehammering it into themselves. And Vija was doing the same type of thing by digitalizing everything and, and drawing it into itself. Um, the programming is essentially the same, but they follow different evolutionary paths because Vija went off and did its own thing, traveling through the galaxy. And the Borg was still in the Delta Quadrant doing their own thing. And they, you know, 
developed into what they became and i you know so to me but the but the beautiful thing is even if you disagreed with me even if you said lee that is rubbish it doesn't impact that at all it's like yeah that's eh, not rubbish it's fine you know i, I go home tonight you know I, I'm, I, I, sit, I sit down and watch star trek um the motion picture tonight and go oh i love seeing this borg come back to earth and there's nothing anyone can do about it you know, and I think that's what people need to need to remember that it doesn't, you know, what someone says in the privacy of their own home um, and what they believe, that's their business. Um, this is it's it's an age old problem that is that is uh, that has invaded Star Trek and I don't like it. <laughs> like, it's one thing to go to war over religion. We should not be going to war over Star Trek. Everyone should be coming together. I like that policy. Just accepting. I think it's a new policy. Yeah. Yeah, okay. Yeah. So Lee, uh, I was perusing some of your drawings and one particular one, this is not totally off topic, it's not even Star Trek. You drew Devil's Tower and said that oh. uh, that's one place that you would like to go and see. It I've is. actually, I've, I've seen it. So that was something that was kind of cool. I was like, oh my gosh, he's, he drew Devil's Tower. That's so awesome. I have an idea, and I don't know if, if, if something ever like that, if um, Yellowstone would ever be up your alley as well. But Ooh, I'm, yeah. you could definitely probably have some fun drawing some. And here is one that you could do that would be Star Trek related, as I have talked about on the network here. And I've surprised some people. Apparently, they did not know this. They, see, they uh, filmed the scenes for Vulcan in the park up in uh mammoth up in the Is north right? end of the park mm-hmm. i did not know that at all yeah there you go i shock people how many people do not know this that is awesome <laughs> i i actually um for my 40th so there birth- you go oh yeah you can 100%. draw spock in in mammoth in the terrace sitting that on the so terraces cool. in mammoth national park mammoth I, um, <laughs> for my 40th birthday i wanted to go on like we had plans to come to america um and I had sorted out an itinerary of of holy places I would like to visit. Obviously, the Vasquez Rocks. It's you know, yes, it's the place. And then I, you know, and and but then I also found that the the street that serves as Carbon Creek in in the Enterprise episode is <laughs> oh, very good. a place. And if you stand in the right place, you can go. Oh, okay, that's Carbon Creek. Um, but it's just a street type of thing, and, and you know all these other different places. So yes, um, I never thought about Yellowstone like that. Actually, I, I didn't. It didn't even connect the dots of going. Well, yeah, this is where Kirk fell from the mountain. I could I could go and see that. And well, and stuff that's like that. that's uh, the Valley of Fire down in Nevada. But mm. yeah, the scenes for the planet Vulcan. When they wanted to film for the planet, they went into Yellowstone National Park and filmed up there. That is at yeah, Mammoth. Just, yeah, Valley of, it, awesome. it, Valley of Fire was generations. Yeah, that, Valley of Fire yeah. was but generations. But where, where Kirk fell in Star Trek V was Yellowstone. El Capitan. Yes. Yeah. 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 But I'd be happy to see the mountain. <laughs> there you go. So are you a Close Encounters fan? Is that why you drew Devil's Tower? A massive, massive Close go. Encounters fan. Yeah, that's um, a great film. Again, yeah. 1978, right, Zach? 77. 77. That's what I meant. Was it 77? Yeah, we always yeah. get into this, but... <laughs> yeah. I don't, yeah, I don't think it came out the same year as Star Wars, did it? it no, no, it did. It, it did. It was oh, at wow. the very end of the year. I think I think I, oh. I must have saw it in January or February, and I always thought it was 78, and, and this 
Young man is like, no, it was 77. I'm like, no, it was 78. <laughs> I have a Looks sad encyclopedic knowledge. So he knew it. Of right movie release bat. dates. Yeah. <laughs> no, I just, I just, yeah. I just remembered this. December 31st at, at 11 o'clock. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, I see. I just remembered because Spielberg and Lucas had a bet about, because uh, there was something to do, um, who, whoever had the, um, the more financially successful film or something would win the bet. And of course, Lucas ran away with it a little by a little bit yeah yeah but um what happened was um because yeah they were actually very self-deprecating they were kind of you know spielberg is like no no star wars is going to do a lot better than close encounters and he's like no no close encounters is going to blow star wars out of the water and so i think the believe the bet was that someone would get a share in whichever film did exceptionally well did the best because they were both kind of thinking the other film was going to do better and um spielberg gets royalties from star wars or something i believe that's the story anyway well, that would explain um, a lot so. <laughs> and yeah so then when you go say they come out at the same time i'm like oh yeah of course they must have done that um but yeah no i'm massive um because i'm a big spielberg fan um but close encounters is just it's a very underrated film because it's such a it's it's this beautiful journey film and that's what i love about it and and people kind of talk about the pacing of the film but it's it's this and again i like star trek the motion picture too people kind of have issues with this, the pacing of that film but it's i don't know anybody. to me i don't oh i i, I know I'm, plenty I'm, of people i'm kidding have. i'm kidding I, <laughs> <Good>. <laughs> that's, that's ken's I'm, favorite star trek that's movie. my favorite yeah. motion picture is it really? It oh, is. that's cool. Yeah, yeah. Are you director's cut or or original version? I, either. I, I like what they yeah. did with the director's cut. It was fine. There were some things they did, changing some of the sound effects that bugged me, but the visuals were much oh, better. Oh, okay. Yep. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's a hard film, too, because there's, particularly in Australia, we get different versions of, of the films, mm-hmm. too. Um, so for years, uh, there was a different version of The Voyage Home that I knew, um, which has got an opening. Um, sequence. Oh, to... it had that prologue explaining like yep. Star Trek two or three because it wasn't yep. it called like the Voyage Home, like Star Trek four, like in little text or something, or, or was that? In... Well, the thing was, yeah, yeah. We'll see what it was. Was um, it was so the the Star Trek four, as far as I remember from being a child. So this is the thing because you get this stuff ingrained. So so as Ken was saying, he recognized sound effects, which I think are very uh, very primal thing for a human to recognize. So when the sound effects off you you recognize it without consciously necessarily knowing something whatever but for, so for me the natural opening of star trek 4 is the enterprise because it's kirk delivering a captain's log at the start of um of star trek 4 in that prologue which is him saying um you know captain's log of the of the former starship enterprise type of thing you know and then he kind of gives a recap and the reason they did that was because of uh russia uh, i think star trek four was opening in russia for the very first time like star trek was opening in russia for the very first time oh and they, they had today, not seen two and three they had no context for what was going yeah. on yeah oh, okay and because we we're in europe australia was classified europe i guess we got the european version which mm. had the prologue so i know the prologue same as star trek six i only know the extended version it wasn't until i want to say the blu-ray actually that i kind of went oh oh the rest of the world deals with this this undercut you know Star so Trek do you, 6, you, do you like the Scooby Doo ending of Star Trek Six? <laughs> well, I, I, like or dislike, it's what I it's what I grew up with. It's it's what I had. Yeah. So, and Star Trek the motion picture is is the same because there's a there was several different home movie versions, right. and one of them has particularly the transporter scene. I believe the transporter scene has different lines in it or different a different cut or something. 
Um, and I always kind of, now I'm confused about which one was the original one for me because I don't know which one was. Uh, but yeah, no, I'm, I'm, I, I'm a massive fan of motion picture. So that does give me kind of some idea about, you know, Close Encounters does not have, is not a slow film to me. It's just this wonderful mm-hmm. ballet that kind of builds up to this extraordinary sequence at the end. Uh, and that's what I think Star Trek The Motion Picture achieves. And I'll, I'll take 18 minutes of flying around the Enterprise. That's fine. Uh, like with that soundtrack and that beautiful looking ship and all I can do is you can you you were saying you you're a child of the 70s mm-hmm. did you see Star Trek the motion picture of the cinema I did yeah I did and that's that's what got me into what Star was Trek, it like was seeing that oh really I, yeah it, so when it, when it came out December 7 1979 I uh, I forget uh, who I was seeing it with I, I mean I wasn't that old I was 13 or yeah. so but it was um you know, I I knew Star Trek. I had watched it kind of like you described, you know, when you were saying yeah. Voyage to the Bottom of the Sea and all that stuff. I was like, yeah, okay, that's exactly what I was growing up <laughs> on. But that that's what got me hooked. I, I just fell in love with Star Trek from that movie. And the way you described it is exactly the same way I've described it for years based on what Mark Leonard had said about it, that it was a, just a beautiful ballet. It was, yeah. you know, it was just, just a beautiful film. And... Uh, and I just thought it was one of the most creative, clever plots I had seen. You know, at, at that young age, I, I was at it. Just I thought it, I thought it was an incredibly genius. Thought, I, it had me till the end, and I thought it it got me. It's, it's like, a, wow. It's it's a very Star Trek thing. That's the thing. What I love about yeah. it. like you can say that about the new Kelvin movies, where you kind of go, it's a lot of zap zap and stuff like that. And so some people don't enjoy that aspect to it. Where and I do enjoy a, a ponderous kind of film. But I always try and imagine what it must have been like for a, a Star Trek fan who had gone without Star Trek for ten years, and but had you know was in love with the the original Enterprise and the original show and never seen improved special effects or anything like that, and then they reveal the Enterprise in that manner, and people kind of argue about the scene, go oh it's so boring because it's just you know flying around the ship, and you go, but you've got to imagine the emotional response seeing this extraordinary spaceship that you'd only seen on crappy TV in, you know, reasonably, you know, um, amazing for its time. But, you know, like I think with the updated special effects that they did for the Blu-rays or they did for the remastered series. What's your what's your take on that? Do you guys are you purists? Do you watch? Because my Blu-ray actually has both versions on it. So does mine. And I don't think I've ever watch the original version of it i think i always go straight to the remastered version because oh, i just i'm with you i'm pretty... not a purist at all no let's have fun i'm, yeah. kinda, I'm on i'm on both sides of it i i i'm weird i collect laserdisc so i have the entire original series on laserdisc on a standard so you, you're one up on me on on, on wrath of khan then yeah. never got the <laughs> uh so i think there's a certain charm to watching it the old way but i do like a lot honestly i like what they did with the live action stuff more in remastered than the ships like, this is how I... I know it would be a lot more expensive had they done it this way, but I wish that... You know, there was like 12 shots, I think, of the Enterprise in the original series. I wish they yeah. just would have gotten a model, right? Shot it again with better technology, use those 12 shots, and then fill in with like a, again, a Romulan bird of prey or a Goran ship or whatever. I know that's a lot more expensive. I 100% understand why it doesn't why they didn't do it that way, but yeah. I think it would have been a lot more tangible. There's just something weird about you cut from like this amazing like 2006 special effect... And then like you're back in the '60s, like inside a ship. It just it, there's a it's jarring to me. Yeah. But I really love all the I love all the dedication work, and obviously they had a lot of care and attention into it, and they really paid attention to the way models moved, and nothing looked really out of place. 
Um, well, and it really did improve the drama accessible. in the episodes. I think, I think. they yeah. could have gone a lot further than they did, and I think they, yeah, they did sorry. it. I think they did it just right. You know, it, yeah. it was it was updated but still respectful. Yeah. So I, I'm totally glad they did it because it made again talking about making Star Trek accessible that allowed it to yeah. sh- to, to be in HD and they show it in syndication again. A lot of people can watch it. I mean, it's a lot more when you go from there's a lot less of a leap from 2009. You know, people that came in with the Kelvin timeline movies to, to yeah. that. Then if they went yeah. from 2009 to like, oh, here's the Galileo Seven and the, <laughs> yeah, this, yeah. this yeah. which is strange. For example, with the original CBS effects. Online only shows the original version. It's really. Oh, wow. it's, oh, they're 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 purists over there, I guess. Huh? It, it was yeah, just kind of it was just kind of weird, you know. Now that now that yeah. I have it, I, I okay, I'll check an episode out on it. I went, well, wait a minute, you know. It, it was kind of fun to to see it in the old version, but they don't have the remastered. Kind of funny. The special effects were the special effects at the time, but going to this extraordinary widescreen, realistic, high definition majesty of this giant ship and having this amazing soundtrack um i i can't imagine what the emotional response must have been like to to see that revealed to to you as far as like i you know i don't even consciously remember when i first saw star trek the motion picture i i yeah it 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 does it didn't it would have been seen at some point when i was going through the back catalog um as a teenager but just that emotional point of seeing the enterprise revealed as real it's it's i would liken it to um when i saw jurassic park um for the very first time i very cliched said um steven spielberg has created dinosaurs because you see that first sequence of jurassic park and it still sends a shiver down my spine of the of the i'm gonna say brontosaurus brachiosaurus is great but you see those brachiosauruses for the very first time and it's and it's they're real that's you know and particularly to a to a 17 year old kid um who just lined up in the rain to see this movie had no idea about um but everyone was talking about um and seeing real dinosaurs on screen i i you know again i kind of look back at at star trek and seeing kind of the klingon ships and stuff like that seeing them in that star trek the motion picture i don't know if they've been better shot it's just a, a magical experience and so I don't care how long the film is. Um, it's about that emotion. And I think it's also reminiscent of 2001 A Space Odyssey. People watch 2001 A Space Odyssey as a straightforward film and go, oh, okay, that film's, it's whack. It's, you know, that's crazy. <laughs> right. And it's like 2001 A Space Odyssey has to be experienced. It's not a film to watch. It's a, it's an exper- a film to experience. And watching it in the cinema is in my opinion the only way to watch 2001 for the first time with a group of people because there's whole sequences of 2001 space odyssey that are uncomfortable to people and i love that like when it's silent and it's silent for such a long time and and people and it's just breathing and people are like on edge and losing it you don't get that sitting at home watching it on i don't care how big your tv is you don't get that sitting at home um you have to experience that film and i think star trek the motion picture is more of an experience than it is a you know a straightforward sit down here's your plot here's your kind of thing the looks that you know kirk gives the enterprise and then you know having them talk about you know um, i think uhura defending kirk is one of my favorite scenes from that when she when that weird looking guy goes um captain deck has been with this ship for however long and uhura goes ensign our chances of coming back from this just may have just doubled. And it's like, yeah, that's a hurrah. That's a hundred percent. 
that's that whole relationship is just there you know in one one line and she barely has anything else to do for the rest of the film but that important except turn the view screen off which she doesn't seem to be able to do you're right. off you're, <laughs> you're off, off. yeah um but that wonderful scene i was just the, you know it's it's this wonderful character moment for her and i think that's you know it's an experience as opposed to star trek wrath of khan which is you know it's this this film it's a film film you know you can sit down anyone can watch star trek uh, wrath of khan and get it and go oh, okay um yeah this is these are very traditional kind of terms and stuff so yeah and and i think that the perspectives uh, because it's it's just it's just funny to me you know first you're kind of zach's clone from down under which is interesting. Uh, and then, you, of course, you're hitting on my favorite subject. So I, I'm just like, you know, people have heard me talk about it forever. And, and, you know, the movie, to me anyway, it just holds up so well today. Uh, the special effects, all the elements of it, it was so beautifully made, so expensive. It's, you know, I, I think the, the CGI, comp- they can do a lot with it. And I would guess it still costs a lot of money, but I, I still think it's the most cinema uh, i don't know the most beautiful uh star trek no, film it's, of, it's of all time it's just beautifully shot you know and it, Although it, it insane, plays beautifully i i do a podcast um where i have a friend who's never seen star trek before and i've I, i'm not going to say bullied him into doing it um but it's it's possibly it's along those lines um and he so he's never seen any of these episodes he's never seen so we go through and watch those episodes and talk about them and he we watched Star Trek Five for the first time. Now he's a photographer, and his takeaway from Star Trek Five was it's one of the more beautiful shot films mm-hmm. in the Star Trek franchise. Um, I didn't make him sit and watch Next Gen, uh, the the motion picture. I, I I reasonably believe that's what his takeaway from that would be too, because the the cinematography of of Star Trek the motion picture is beautiful. But Star Trek Five, he was saying some of the shots in Star Trek Five are just beautiful frame shots that have you know you didn't see in in um in star trek uh wrath of khan like wrath of khan's got great scenes it's got great tension um there's some amazing sequences but nimbus 3 is shot beautifully in star trek 5 and i think that's some of the things you can take away from that no motion picture yeah i mean i love two and three but they do look like tv movies yeah which is what they're designed to be but there there is a much greater scope and one and then of course you know of course one and then five as yeah. well totally yeah and definitely and and i think even um yeah i i just i really i because this is the thing the movies to me even though there's, there's only you know six original movies and and generations came out when i was in in my last year of high school and it's interesting you guys no we don't like talking about generations oh, we don't like talking about generations <laughs> was the film that i skipped out of school it was the only time i ever skipped out of school um a friend of mine, and this is interesting when you guys talked about Australia and Star Trek overseas, I guess, from America, because it's a very American thing. I, because, and being alone kind of thing, I had a friend who was really, she was, she loves Star Trek. I introduced her to it. She just grew to love it type of thing. And we, yeah, it was our last maths exam for, uh, you know, for high school. Um, and our year's different to your years. So, um, but it was our very last maths exam. And we had to be at school for that day. But Star Trek Generations was being released in Australia that day. And we lived in a country town, so we'd have to drive somewhere. And um, yeah, we went to school, did the maths exam, and literally just walked straight out into the car park and took off. I'd never skipped school before. Um, and went drove to a, 
uh, Toowoomba, which is a town, uh, which is about an hour and a, an hour or so away, um, which had a cinema and saw Star Trek Generations in the cinema. And so that was the first Star Trek film I got to see in the cinema because I wasn't old enough to see Star Trek 6 in the cinema at the time. And so I have, you know, and that is shot impressively too. Say what yeah, you the cinematography about. is beautiful. The, the the lighting on the Enterprise D, you know, the interiors mm. have never looked better. I wish yeah. it looked that way on the show. Well, it looked like a movie movie and that's, I like that. I mean, there's plenty of other problems going on there. Sure. Um, but, <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, it, overall it was, you know, and that was a great, a great introduction for me to seeing it at the cinema. And so I have a special it's got a, a soft spot in my heart for it, but I, I definitely... And then I always remember um, watching First Contact at the cinema and hearing the opening music for that. And it's quite... I don't know if you guys get this, but um, it's quite mournful. I feel it's very... It's almost a sad... It's haunting. Yeah. yeah. And I always felt in part of me was... Um, because that's the end of original Star Trek. I always felt that sad music for me was always... It wasn't. It's not the intent. It was never the intent, and and I'm I'm not saying that they were doing. But for me, that actual music was. It was this bittersweet. It's beautiful music, but it was this bittersweet moment where I realised Kirk's not coming back. They've moved on, and it, that was the final point. Because you know, Star Trek Six, they finished with the autographs and blah blah blah. And it's like, yes, uh-huh. you know, and we're no one's gone before, and it's like, yeah, but they're coming back, you know, because we didn't see anyone die, and we didn't see. And then, of course, we had generations and, and things were pretty final. And so the start of First Contact was a very emotional kind of... Um, that music was was really haunting for me because it was, oh, yeah, okay, it's over. But then Picard took on some Kirkish qualities, climbing around the climbing around the engineering department and, and, and <laughs> swinging on, on things and kicking, kicking Borg and stuff like that. It's like, oh, okay, his experience with Captain Kirk has changed him slightly. <laughs> um, hopefully that's that's a good best. interpretation of it I'll, I'll choose to look at it that way moving forward yeah. this is it <laughs> the so. character change in Picard yeah alright Lee well thanks so much for coming back for another week we had a great time uh, talking more Star Trek with you if people want to find you out there on the internet where can they find you uh, yeah look Twitter is probably right now I think that's because um, that's where I probably have most of the Star Trek conversations I'm also on Facebook but if you go to LeeDrawsStuff.com uh, that's probably my hub where you can kind of go on to Star Trek 365.com um and place see where else i'm doing type of thing whatever malarkey i'm doing again this is the wonder of of star trek being able to talk about it um with like-minded people even if you don't agree on the same things but it sounds like we agree on a lot so that's worked out well (laughs) all right well lee draws 365 star trek scribbles isn't the only thing we're talking about on trek fm this week here's a quick look what else you might have missed elsewhere on the network previously on trek.fm primitive culture a look at history and culture through Star Trek. You know, I remember the freedom of having my own car, and believe it or not, I actually had a Plymouth Fury. It wasn't a 58, right? No it way. Was a, it was a 73, <laughs> but yeah, my first car was a Plymouth Fury, and there was this is the movie was part of the reason why. When I saw that for sale, it was a cheap car. I paid like 500, 300 bucks, something like that for it. It was in really Brandon, good shape. you really you really didn't take the message of this movie. <laughs> You went out and bought one of those cars. <laughs> it was yellow. It wasn't red, you know, so... Who knows? Someone might have sprayed it. Standard Orbit. We recorded most of the Shatner episodes. Every now and then we missed. Like, okay, we'll get it next round with Nimoy. We kind of thought it'd be the same thing. It's like, oh, there's going to be no difference. It's just Spock reading it instead of Kirk. No, completely different, right? So it's like, oh, crap. We should have bought 160 tapes instead of 80 for this. Literary Treks. 
I did like the scenes with his family and Riker, you know, spending the night at the home, getting up in the morning, having breakfast with the family. Oh, look, they made him coffee. There was just there was just something really nice and settling about Riker just being in that situation and being treated with such respect and with arms around him, you know, just welcoming him and making him feel at home. And I guess you don't really feel that all that often in many Star Trek stories when you beam down to a planet and you're just welcomed into somebody's home and you're just seeing what a normal, happy family is like. Warp 5. That's kind of how Trip acted, though, right? He he needed to see this. He needed to actually step in uh, to the situation. And, and I appreciate that. You know, like, a lot of people give him some flack for being kind of pig-headed, or I think they even almost assume that he has a problem with the three genders. And he's like, no, I don't have a problem with the three genders. I have a problem that this third sex, I, I guess, they get it wrong. Enterprise, the writers should have said sex the entire time they should have said sex but i'm guessing you know they're on tv and if they say sex a whole bunch they might get uh, the wrong the wrong idea and that's what else is happening on trek.fm so check out these shows and find out what we're talking about in your favorite corner of the star trek universe and beyond you'll find us wherever you get your podcasts if you're an apple user get the show on itunes or the apple podcast app be sure to hit the subscribe button that helps us out greatly and makes it easier for other listeners to find the show if you're not an Apple user, we've got you covered as well. You can find our shows on Stitcher, TuneIn, Speaker, SoundCloud, Windows Phone, and of course, you can stream and download the MP3 file from our website and grab the RSS link as well. If you would like to get in touch with us here at Trek FM, you can always find us on trek.fm slash contact and look in the sidebar on the show page. Or you can go to speakpipe.com slash trek.fm and please leave us a voice message. You can also contact us through Twitter at trek.fm Facebook at facebook.com slash trekfm, and the Babel Conference. Type the Babel Conference, that's B-A-B-E-L, into the search field on Facebook, or go to our website at trekfm and click Discussion on the menu bar. Another way you can help us keep all of our shows coming to you each week is to become a patron of the network on Patreon. If you visit patreon.com slash trekfm, that's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash trekfm, you'll find our current goals and different milestone contribution levels along with all the great perks we have for you. These perks include early access to content, exclusive content, producer credits, seats on our content development team, and more. We really appreciate any support you can give us and hope you'll join the team. Again, you'll find the details at patreon.com slash trekfm. Speaking of Patreon, thank you as always to our associate producers for Standard Orbit. They are Norman C. Lau, Nick Anastasio, Tim Robertson, Richard Marquez, Corey Elrod, and Dan Rhodes. You guys, uh, your, your contributions, your help, your support mean the world to us, and we appreciate you being associate producers on Standard Orbit. So to find me on the interwebs... You can find me on the Babel Conference. I'm there all the time. Or you can find me on Twitter at BostonSCPO. As for me, you can find me on Twitter at MoronZach. That's M-O-O-R-E-O-N-Z-A-C-H. And I'm also the host of my own podcast, Always Holding on the Smallville, where we talk about each and every episode of that Young Superman show. You can find us on Twitter at AlwaysMallville with one S. You can find me on Twitter. I am at Trekkie01D. Celebrating Trek Tuesdays. That's tomorrow, everybody. Wear your Trek. <laughs> yes, and use the hashtag Trek Tuesday. So thanks, everyone, for listening, and join us again next time here on Trek FM for another episode of Standard Orbit.